Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to Dan 1132. I'm Jim Wittevine. It's good to be here with you once again. This is episode number 112, Eschatology 101, part 7. And in this episode, I'm going to follow up on what I've been talking about over the past weeks, and specifically what I talked about last week was the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and that leads us into Revelation chapter 7. And I'm going to open up Revelation chapter 7 on screen here, and I'm going to go through Revelation 7 and uh, into Revelation chapter 8. Now, just a, a reminder of where we are just to go back a little bit, uh, we saw the it, we're in the midst of the opening of the seals, the seals of that book, which uh, the Lamb was found worthy to open. And, and so that's in, in chapter 5. Uh, and in chapter 6, the first four seals are opened of the book. So the, the, the book is, is in preparation stages to being opened. And so this is the, as I mentioned uh, previously, this is the beginning of the, the birth pangs, as Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 24. And so we have the, the first four seals opened and the uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse. And then the fifth seal is opened and we see the martyrs crying out for justice uh, and they're told to wait a little while longer until the full number of those uh, their brothers should be complete. And then at the end of chapter 6, the sixth seal is opened. And then we have all of this cosmic activity happening, natural disasters, great earthquake. The sun turns black. The full moon becomes like blood. The stars fall from the sky. And the mention of that fig tree as uh, the, the, the simile here. The, or the, the metaphor here, the, the fig, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit, the stars of the sky fall to the earth. The sky vanishes, every mountain and island is removed. The kings of the earth, great ones, generals, rich, powerful, everyone, slave and free, hides in the caves among the rocks of the mountains and, and looks for protection there from the wrath of the lamb and the wrath of the one who is seated on the throne." And so that leads us into Revelation 7. Some people call Revelation 7 kind of a, an interlude. Uh, and others say, I think correctly, that this is, it's not so much an interlude as it is a proleptic passage. Now, uh, when I first heard the word proleptic, I had to look it up myself. Uh, so it's, it's something that gives us a, a, a glimpse into what's going to happen in, uh, in after uh, or introducing what comes afterwards. So uh, being proleptic, this passage uh, brings us or, or communicates to us the, the fulfillment of all of these things. So it's not necessarily uh, something that's uh, based in time. Uh, it's not necessarily that we're going in chronological order here exactly, but it's it's a, a glimpse into the results of what's going to happen. So when the seven seals are opened, the the sixth seal has this uh, kind of interlude character to it. Uh, and then when the seven trumpets will be blown, the sixth trumpet also has this kind of interlude to it. And then the seven bowls are uh, poured out. And then also the sixth bowl has this kind of interlude to it. So it's a repeating pattern in Revelation. So beginning at uh, 
Revelation 7, verse 1. John sees four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, and they're holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud, called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now, so, so we're continuing with this kind of prelude to the Great Tribulation, the final outpouring of God's wrath on Jerusalem, on Judea, uh, and the destruction of Jerusalem. So the, all of these things fulfilled in the Jewish War, 66, the year 66 to 70, and the ultimate destruction of, of the temple in Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans. The definitive end of the Old Covenant and the definitive beginning of the New Covenant. So what's happening here is a kind of a withholding of the, the ultimate judgment. And, and with a very definite reason. The, the, uh, the angels who have been given this power to harm the earth and the sea uh, are told not to do this harming until a sealing work of God would take place. And so we're introduced to the number of the sealed, 144,000. They're sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then 12,000 from each of the, each of the tribes in a, uh, uh, an interesting list of names because it, uh, it must reflect the kind of the way things were looked at at that time because they, these are not the 12 sons of Jacob. Uh, and we see something odd here in that uh, Manasseh is mentioned, but Ephraim is not mentioned. So uh, I don't think it's, it's very significant but just something to point out. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. So uh, also Dan is not mentioned. So 12,000, but the, the, there's that symbolic number of 12 to the 12 tribes, and then 12,000 from each tribe. So obviously 144,000, uh, 12 times or 12 times 12,000. And being a, a very symbolic number, uh, and I believe this, this number speaks about the fullness or the full number of those from Israel, from the old covenant people of God, who are going to be saved. And these are the ones who are saved, and they're the ones who are sealed. And so what's happening here is a kind of um, reenactment, you could say, of of the the Passover, where the blood was put on the doorposts and on the lintels lintels of the of the houses in Egypt, and those who had the blood on their doorpost uh, were passed over by the destroying angel, and those who those who didn't have the blood on their doorposts, they weren't sealed with that blood, uh, they would lose their firstborn. And so there's there's that kind of reference there, or or a kind of a a continuity or parallel there with what happened prior to the Exodus in the last plague. Now there's also another passage that I'd like to look at because it's also very very much paralleled with this, and that is in the prophecy of Ezekiel, chapter nine. 
just opening that up. And speaking about the judgment that was going to fall on Jerusalem. And so Ezekiel 9 verse 1 says, Then he cried in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. And with them was a man clothed in linen, with a writing case at his waist. And again, this this cut mat, the vision of a of a man clothed in linen is something that comes back uh, again and again uh, in the prophecies in and in, in Revelation. This high priestly dress. So the man clothed in linen with a writing case at his waist, and they went in and they stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of God of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen, who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. So they're sighing and groaning over these abominations and the sinfulness, the wickedness of Jerusalem is a sign of their faithfulness. And so they are going to have a mark put on their foreheads. And to the others, this is verse 5, to the others he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eye shall not spare and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. Judgment begins the house of God. So they began with the elders who were before the house. Then he said to them, defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. So they went out and struck in the city. And while they were striking and I was left alone, I fell upon my face and cried, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in the outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? So prior to this destruction, what we see here is the, the sealing of the remnant. And the sealing of the faithful remnant, like the sealing of the 144,000 here in the first part of Revelation chapter 7. So the, 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 the 144,000 are the full number of God's elect from the old covenant people of God. Now, there's obviously uh, a lot of different interpretations and mistaken, in my view, interpretations of the 144,000. Some of them uh, from the cults, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own view of what the 144,000 is, those who uh, will uh, dwell in heaven uh, in eternity as opposed to the rest who will dwell on the new earth. But I think when we look at the 144,000 in the first part of Revelation 7, and then the great multitude from the second part of Revelation 7, we can get a a fuller understanding of what this means. So the 144,000, the the full number of uh, the faithful remnant from Israel, from Judah, from Jerusalem, uh, the old covenant people of God. And then we come to uh, chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, 
Uh, and that's that's an interesting and important symbolism there. They're standing with palm branches in their hands, just like uh, on the Lord Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So they have, they, are, they have these palm branches in their hands. And they're crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So that, that kind of uh, pattern for praise with the, the multitude of, uh, or the, the, the multiples of seven, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might. So seven things being attributed to God by this uh, worshiping crowd. So this great multitude is there. Then one of the elders addressed me, verse 13, John says, saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So, uh, as I mentioned, this is a, a proleptic section. So, it's looking forward uh, to what happens after the great tribulation and, and this great multitude that no one can count. And it continues in verse 15, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so there's a foretaste here of what's to come, and, and we also encounter very similar uh, language being used at the end of Revelation, um, Revelation 20 21. Uh, especially, we see that same kind of language about every tear being wiped away from their eyes. So, in this chapter, what we have here is the sealing, first of all, the, the, the sealing of the 144,000, the faithful remnant from God's old covenant people. That those are, those are the people who need to be sealed to have that mark put on them so that the destroyer doesn't destroy them, just as in the Exodus, uh, in, in the last plague in Egypt, and, and just as happened uh, in that vision of Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 9. So they, they have the seal. They have that mark, and the, the, you know, the, the mark comes up uh, in Revelation, and, and off, as well a, a subject of much discussion. What is the, the mark, the mark of the beast, or, or this particular mark? Well, this is this is God's mark sealing his people. So specifically in the first part, uh, the Jews, and in the second part, we see the wider church, which is a vast multitude that no one can count. And so what, what we have here, we, again, we need to look at this, remember context and remember original application to original readers. The, the, the seven churches in Asia Minor, who are facing persecution, already experiencing persecution, already suffering, facing enemies within, false teachers, people leading them astray, false prophets, the synagogue of Satan, and then enemies without, 
the, the, the synagogue of Satan working from without in concert with the, the secular authorities uh, to persecute God's people. And then this message about this great judgment that's going to be poured out and the suffering which is going to come upon Israel, but not only upon Israel, also upon God's people, because that's also uh, an important part of the message of Revelation, that suffering would come. Now, in the midst of this, the, God's people need encouragement. They need, they need to know, the God's faithful people need to know that everything's going to be all right. Those who are straying need to be admonished. They need to be encouraged to return to the right path. But those who are faithful, they need, they need to have uh, this message of encouragement to help them to, to remain strong in the face of everything that's going to happen. So the message is, God is not going to pour out his judgment upon Israel until the full number of those that he had chosen was sealed. Those would be uh, those would be protected. Those ones would be saved. And, and not until that happened would the ultimate outpouring of God's wrath happen. And the same thing goes for the second part, this vast multitude that no one can count. Now imagine, I mean, we can, we can uh, think of it in our own situation. Uh, perhaps you're a member of a small church, a struggling church or a small congregation, and, and you look and you, you think like, like Elijah Right, Elijah, Elijah in the wilderness saying, you know, I'm the only one left. And God says, no, uh, there are still 7,000, that symbolic number, 7,000 who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. So there's, there's, there's a lot who are with you. And the same kind of encouragement comes from this. This, this is a, a, a glorious message of the successful proclamation of the gospel and the bringing in of a great number of, Let's go. just go back here. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from tr all tribes and peoples and languages. And they are praising God. And that's a, a beautiful description of the ultimate victory of the gospel message and, and, and the fact that, that a great multitude will be brought, brought in to become citizens of the kingdom. And from and again, a list of four: every nation, all tribes, all peoples, and languages. So that number four, having to do with the universality of what's going to happen, people from from all over the world are going to be brought in. So we have this preservation of the remnant from the old covenant people of God, and then this great multitude, which is uh, the 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 union of. Jew and Gentile as the newly constituted people of God. And I think as we we speak about eschatology, and especially in the light, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this series of, uh, of podcasts, of episodes on this, is to emphasize the fact that there is one united people of God, that the, the church is built on the foundation of uh, the apostles and prophets, so so and and built around the nucleus of this faithful Jewish remnant that that was sealed, the hundred and forty four thousand, and and became one new people of God. So there there are not two peoples of God. 
there is not one way of, of salvation for the Jews and another way of salvation for Christians. Uh, there, we'll, we'll see this in more detail as well uh, as we go through Revelation, Lord willing, uh, that the Jews as a people, as a nation state, no longer have any special significance in the the historical in, in 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 a historical redemptive kind of way that ended when the old covenant was definitively brought to an end when the and and the apostle paul talks about this in romans in his letter to the romans uh, he talks about the grafting in uh, of uh, the gentiles into the Jews. So this is not like the Gentiles replaced the Jews, but they were grafted in to the Jews to become one new united people, the true children of Abraham. All those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, who is the man of faith. So the true Israel of God is that believing remnant, the 144,000, along with that, or and, and perhaps as a part of that great multitude that no one can count. So that's what we see here, words of encouragement for uh, a, a, a church and churches that were facing great trials and that needed the encouragement to continue to, to conquer, to go forth and conquer. Ch chapters 2 and 3 remain so important that the message to the church to the one who conquers, I will give this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is this is a an integral part of that message, that encouraging message for an embattled people. Then that brings us to chapter eight. So that was the sixth seal and that uh, so-called interlude, uh, and now the seventh seal and the golden censer. So beginning at verse 1, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, so this is it, the, 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 the seventh seal is open, now the scroll is open. Uh, there was a silence, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, that, that's a, such a powerful image there. That seal is opened, and then suddenly there's silence. Now, we've seen in the previous chapters how there's been this absolute incredible noise that's come uh, in in praise as as multitudes are crying out and multitudes are 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 uh, speaking praise to God, uh, but here there is absolute silence. So there's silence in heaven for a half an hour, a brief period of time. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Now we've already encountered seven angels in uh, chapters uh, chapters 1 to 3. And those seven angels are the seven angels of the seven churches. And what I, what I argued and what I, uh, what I understand these seven angels to be are the human leaders the, or the leadership of these seven churches. But here we encounter seven angels standing before God. And they have, they're given seven trumpets. So this seventh seal is going to be divided into seven trumpets. So there's, there's kind of this fractal nature to what we see in Revelation. You know, fractal the picture or, or piece of art has a, a large picture and then uh, a smaller reproduction of that large picture and, then, and so on and just continues. 
Uh, or else, uh, another example that I, th- I think fits well with this, it's like those those Russian dolls. So you have those Russian dolls, uh, wooden dolls, and uh, you open the one, so they, they split in the middle. I'm sure you've, you've seen them, you split in the middle. You open it, inside there's another one. It's like a smaller replica. Then you open it, and inside there's another one until you get down to the, the, the smallest one in the middle. So that, that's kind of what this is like. So the, the, the seventh seal leads to seven trumpets. And then it, it takes a while uh, to actually get to that seventh trumpet. So it's easy to kind of lose track of what's actually happening. Uh, but that, that's kind of the way it works. It's like that fractal image or like that those nesting dolls. Uh, and there's silence in heaven, the seven angels, perhaps uh, acting as representatives of those those human angels or human messengers, the leaders of the churches. Uh, they, they stand before God. They're given seven trumpets. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, this is is very reminiscent of what we saw earlier. And I'm just uh, going back here. Uh, this in in chapter six, uh, the fifth seal. When he opened the verse nine, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, "O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth?" And they're given a white robe, told to rest until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. So we already heard. Now, here, as we get into chapter 8, we see uh, their prayers being offered up. Uh, And so the incense is mingled with the prayers of the saints. The smoke rises to God. And then fire from that altar is thrown down upon the earth. And so in response to the prayers of the saints who ask how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long until vengeance is going to be enacted? Well, here we see the results of these prayers. And it's it's an amazing, powerful image uh, of uh, God's judgment being in his wrath, being poured out in response to the prayers of his people. Because the angel takes that censer, fills it with fire from the altar, throws it to the earth. So it's actually it, it's actually this overturning kind of the, the the prayers are ascending and then they're they're hurled back to the earth. And then there's this these uh, signs of of God's appearance: thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. It's like what happened on Mount Sinai when uh, God made His covenant. Uh, with his people. Verse 6, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth or upon the land. And a third of the land was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, 
and all green grass was burned up. So, so here we have uh, an, an effect on the, the, the natural world, you could say. So the, uh, again, the apocalyptic language that's used in hail and fire mixed with blood thrown upon the land. And what we notice is that things are getting more intense. Previously, it was a quarter that was, uh, that was affected by the judgments. Now it's a third. So things are getting worse. The second angel blows his trumpet. And something like a great mountain burning with fire is thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea becomes blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Now I'm going to, I think I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in the next episode because there's not really time to get into this here. But this is a, a very important point as well. And it also has to do with the prayers of the martyrs and the res- response to that prayer. Just think about, uh, just a, a little foretaste, just think about uh, what the Lord Jesus said about those who have faith and what they can do with this mountain. Uh, check it out. The third angel blows his trumpet. A great star falls from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it falls on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Then the fourth angel, verse 12, the fourth angel blows his trumpet. A third of the sun is is struck again. There's that, that intensification of the judgments happening. It's not a quarter, it's a third. A third of the sun is struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. Again, that heavenly symbolism, which points to the leadership being affected, the, the, the human governments being affected, the human power structures, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. So again, we see in the blowing of these trumpets an intensification of God's judgments upon the land. And then the final verse of Revelation 8, and as I mentioned next next time, the Lord willing, we'll look at this in more detail. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And so a declaration of woes upon the land, those who dwell on the land or those who dwell in the land, a series of woes that are being declared by this eagle which flies overhead. But as I mentioned, uh, next time, uh, hopefully next week, we'll, I'll do one last episode for the year next week and, uh, and we'll go through uh, these uh, trumpets We'll talk a little bit, well, a little bit more, or probably a lot more, about um, what happens when the great mountain is thrown into the sea, and what happens there, and also the 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 star falling from heaven, uh, and the name of the star is Wormwood. These are some very important points, and there is uh, a lot of uh, very good uh, historical information which ties in with what happened when these trumpets were blown. So we'll, we'll get into some of that uh, next time. So I'm going to stop it here. 
I'm going to stop for now. And uh, if you found these episodes helpful, please do pass them on. As I as I always say, you can pass on the the, the link to the audio podcast, or you can pass on the link to the Rumble channel. Uh, if you know anyone who is interested in, in eschatology and learning more about specifically the book of Revelation, uh, pass it on. Uh, and also you can check out the website, www.dan1132.com. I want to thank those of you who recently have placed orders for books. Uh, and if you still would like a copy of my book, How in the World Did We Get Here? We still have uh, a number of copies available and they're available for $15 plus shipping or $10 for an audiobook. So uh, let me know by getting in touch with me using the form on the website, dan1132.com. So until next time, may God bless you, and may God help us all to be people who know our God. And as we're opening God's Word right now, we're getting to know Him more uh, which is a very good thing. It's a it's a great blessing. A lot of controversy about the Book of Revelation. A lot of uh, a lot of I think uh, uh, misinformation to to use that. A lot of fake news about about Revelation. Uh, but I think uh, there's so much that we can we can learn and so much we can gain from it. Just in terms of also understanding our times, uh, which is one of the reasons why I do this podcast. So. Uh, I hope you find it helpful and, and may God help us all to, to apply this and apply it to our lives as well. Not just, not just be kind of uh, th- theorists about these things or, or hobbyists, but, but really seek to apply these, these truths in our lives. And knowing our God, knowing his word, may he strengthen us and may, give, may he give us what we need to, in the words of Daniel 11, verse 32, stand firm and take action.